Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Michael Walsh. Michael Walsh is the president and broker of record at Exclusively Buyers, Inc., the only real estate brokerage in Ontario that is dedicated exclusively to home buyers. His brokerage does not accept sales assignments, thereby avoiding the conflicts of interest inherent in traditional real estate brokerages. Clients of EBI receive a guarantee of a single agency, the gold standard of real estate brokerage services. In my interview with Michael, we discuss the driving force behind the proposed Trust in Real Estate Services Act 2019, what is multiple representation, and why were some industry pundits lobbying for its prohibition? Without further ado, here's my interview with Michael Walsh. Hi, Michael. How are you doing today? Hello, Sean. Just fine. Thank you. It's great to hear. Looking forward to talking about the regulations in terms of realtors. It's not a topic that we've discussed on the podcast so far, but you definitely have a very interesting perspective on it. Excited to dive into that and educate our listeners on that as well. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great. Well, let's get started. So can you tell us what was the driving force behind the proposed Trust in Real Estate Services Act 2019? Were there shortcomings in the former Act REBA 2002? And not all the listeners are a realtor like yourself, so perhaps you could just briefly explain them and then answer the question. Of course. Sure. The former Act, REBA 2002, stands for the Real Estate and Business Brokers Act. 2002 is when it was came into legislation. And essentially, it governs the conduct of real estate agents and brokerages in Ontario. It had not undergone any type of serious changes for almost 20 years now. What the catalyst for change, in my view, came in 2016 when CBC's program Marketplace did an expose on real estate agents, primarily in Toronto, behaving quite badly. <laughs> and so this expose received considerable acclaim, actually. Subsequent to it, there was all sorts of consumer pressure for reform to read the 2002. And there were here, you know, there were, there were public hearings held. People were asked to weigh in. And what we now have is a proposal by the Ontario government to sort of rewrite the act, call it the Trust in Real Estate Services Act of 2019. It's an attempt to restore some of the trust in real estate agents that really been lost over the last few years. I guess, hence the name Trust in Real Estate Services Act, it pretty much says it all. It does. It says that it was, that it was necessary, right? That, that the consumers had basically lost the confidence and trust in, in the industry. 
Great. And in terms of the shortcomings, we'll touch on that in the question I'm about to ask you. Next question is, the real estate industry seems pleased that multiple representation will be allowed under the new act. What is multiple representation and why were some industry pundits lobbying for its prohibition? Sure. In the former act, it allowed a single agent to represent, that's a complete misuse of the word represent, but in real estate lingo, it was one agent representing both the buyer and the seller in a single transaction. That's called, in industry terms, double ending. The end of a deal is the buyer is one end, the seller is another. Double ending, you're representing both, you're being paid for both. That was the senior issue within the CBC expose, and it was actually outlawed shortly after the CBC marketplace did the show. So I think it was sometime in 2017, might have been 18, that the revision to the existing act took place to prohibit that type of double ending. That had been taken care of, but the related abuse is dual agency. Now, dual agency is an umbrella description of one brokerage representing both the buyer and the seller in the same transaction. So it's not the individual real estate agent, it's the brokerage. And you can have two separate agents at the brokerage, one agent representing the buyer, one agent representing the seller, That is called dual agency, and the issue with it is not clear at all to the average consumer because the buyer says, I have John Smith representing me, and the seller says, well, I have Mary Jones representing me. It doesn't matter to me that they work at the same brokerage. Well, yes, it does matter. It matters a great deal because under Ontario law, the contract for representation is a contract between the consumer and the brokerage. It's not between the consumer and the individual realtor who will be representing their interest. That is virtually unknown to most consumers, but that's at the heart of dual agency, which is also called multiple representation. A single brokerage cannot possibly negotiate for a higher price for a seller and a lower price for a buyer on the same deal. It's like physically impossible. It can't be done. And so this is the issue with multiple representation or dual agency. And this is why it was on the table anyways for review with the new act. Now, the new act didn't address it. The new act is going to let dual agency continue. That's a shortcoming in my, this is just me talking. This is my view. It's a shortcoming of of the legislation. Yes, Ed, I I just wanted some clarification. So I could certainly certainly see the issue with one realtor representing both the buyer and the seller. I mean, if I was Mm -hmm. to go to court and have the same lawyers representing both the plaintiff and defendant, that would make no sense at all. But Mm -hmm. perhaps you can explain to me in a real estate context, What's the main issue with realtors from the same brokerage representing Mm -hmm. both the buyer and the seller? I think that it would be in both realtors' interests for the property to sell as much as possible so that their commission is higher. But I mean, if if they're a good realtor and they're representing the buyer of the property, they would want the buyer to be happy at the end of the day so that they get Mm -hmm. positive word of mouth referrals. So perhaps you could just explain a bit more what's kind of the main issue if buyer and seller are dealing with the same brokerage versus realtor 
realtors, two different realtors representing the buyer and seller from two separate brokerages. Sure. What's the real issue there? I just want to make sure I understand. Sure. Okay. Well, let, let's go back to the example that you cited of two people in court and they'd never be represented by the same lawyer because the people in court have uh, opposing objectives that they're trying to accomplish in court. But by the same token, and of course, it would never be a single lawyer representing them both. But you would also never find two lawyers from the same law firm in that case either. Never. If one of the parties to that legal claim would have approached the law firm and the law firm would run a, a due diligence of its existing client base and the law firm would say, I'm sorry, we can't represent you. And this happens every day. We cannot represent you. We cannot have one of our lawyers represent you because we are representing the other side. That's exactly the same situation if you put it into real estate terms and into brokerage terms. The brokerage contracts with the home seller. Somebody wants to sell a house. They sign a listing agreement with a brokerage. That brokerage is now working on behalf of the home seller. The realtor is an employee of the brokerage. They're not acting as a, some type of independent service provider. They work for the brokerage as an employee of the brokerage. So if the brokerage has taken on the obligation to act for the seller and to make attempts to move the price in favor of the seller, then the brokerage cannot take on another contract to represent somebody who wants to do the exact opposite. So that would be how I would sort of look at the similarities between real estate brokerage and legal firms. Firms won't do it. Brokerages will do it. That, that's also, I mean, if you talk to any lawyer at all, they just, they just shake their head. Great. Thanks so much for clarifying that, mm -hmm. Michael. Just following up on the last question, talking about the new act, which we'll focus on in the next few questions. Under the sure. new act, sellers will be allowed to disclose the amount of offers to competing bidders. Doesn't this approach an open auction? What are the upsides and downsides to buyers and sellers? If we back up a little bit too, if we go back in time just a little bit, let's go to 1993. Prior to 1993, every real estate agent in Ontario legally worked for the seller of a property. If you were a buyer, you may have had an agent explaining sort of the protocol to you, may have had an agent helping you fill out forms. But from a legal perspective, that agent was working as a sub-agent for the seller. That became problematic because the agents for the buyers were not completely forthcoming with the, that relationship. And so buyers got confused and upset with some of the transactions. So in 1993, something called buyer representation was instituted. Right? And then from that day onwards, there's been this conflict, if you will, within real estate brokerage. How can the brokerage represent both the seller and the buyer on the same transaction. That's when multiple representation became an issue. The business of selling houses, basically, that's what real estate brokerage has been, the business of selling houses. If one was to take a close look at how the industry is structured, it skewed in favor, massively in favor of home sellers, because that's what the original function was to do, was to sell houses. Now circle back to today and the new act and sellers will be allowed to disclose the amount of uh, offers to competing bidders. To me, this is simply more of the same. 
this is just a, another wrinkle in favoring the seller over the buyer because this disclosure is at the seller's discretion. If the seller wants to, the seller can, but the seller does not have to. It's something's put in to benefit the seller, uh, definitely to benefit the seller over the buyer. That's the intent. Whether it does or not really depends on your outlook on negotiation, to tell you the truth. Places that have auctions, there's two sides to it. So it's not a clear-cut win. Whether the seller is better off by disclosing the amounts that are on, are on the table by other offers, there are valid cases to be made for and against that, to tell you the truth. Great. Thanks for your insight into that. And I guess I just want to clarify quickly with our listeners that we're sure. referring to the real estate rules in Ontario. So if you're listening in yeah. another province, then we're just referring to Ontario. But I'm just curious, Michael, do you have any insight into how other provinces handle this? And if you're a fan mm-hmm. of one province over Ontario? In my estimation, the new act is a feather really in the cap of the Ontario legislators. Other provinces, most notably BC, a few years prior, instituted something called mandatory designated agency. When there was two of the agents at the same brokerage representing a buyer and a seller, it was deemed to be just fine. And both of those agents could push for higher price, lower price, even though the contract for representation was still with the brokerage itself. I can't believe that that has not been legally challenged because it seems open and shut to me that that cannot happen. To your question, other provinces, uh, BC being the most recent, but there are other Canadian provinces as well that have adopted this form of agency called mandatory designated agency. And the legal scholars in the United States call it fraud. They don't even stop short. They say this is fraud. This is dressing up dual agency. It's legalizing dual agency. And from that perspective, they call it fraud. So Ontario didn't go there. The odds makers were saying Ontario was going to adopt this mandatory designated agency as well. And Ontario didn't. Ontario said, no, we're going to keep multiple representation and we're going to keep the limitations that surround multiple representation as adequate protection for consumers. From that perspective, Ontario did a good job. The new act sounds good. I mean, I guess there's room for improvement, but it sounds like it's better than it could have been. Yeah, it's a lot, lot better than it could have been. Again, continuing to discuss the new act, under the new act, the agent for the buyer will still be paid by the agent for the seller. How does this bear on the fiduciary duties owed by an agent to their principal? And perhaps you could just briefly explain for the listeners what the term fiduciary duties mean. To act as a fiduciary for somebody else means that essentially you are stepping into their shoes, basically, right? And so you have you have a duty. There's several duties, but the, the most important one is loyalty. To be loyal to that individual and to put their interests ahead of your own. That's essentially what being a fiduciary means. The issue with payment is the agent for the buyer has historically been paid by the agent for the seller. And that's curious at best because they are purportedly negotiating for opposite objectives, one, one for a higher price, one for a lower price. Yet the, the person who is negotiating for a lower price is being paid by the person who is negotiating for a higher price. And that conflict is just so obvious that it's always a focus of discussion, right? always. 
I can tell you from my experience with dealing with agents who I know in, in my region, all agents try to do the best for their client. And so who is actually paying the agent does not bear on who or how much really does not bear on what actions the agent will take. I think the, the issue with payment is, is more from an optics than it is from a, from a practical point of view. Although, that said, it is the subject of many of the lawsuits that are now happening in the United States. Many, many, many lawsuits are attempting to change that longstanding tradition and would prefer to move to a marketplace where if a buyer wanted to use an agent, they should pay for that agent. Kind of hard to argue that logic. That's what they want to move to and move away from a situation where the buyer's agent is being paid by the seller's agent because of the perception of influence of the seller's agent over the buyer's agent. Under the new act, there won't be any changes to, to that longstanding tradition. At least there's none that's been indicated, but it's something to, to be looked at down the road for sure. Depending on what happens in the U.S. lawsuits, we could see changes in Canada sooner rather than later because whatever happens in the United States will certainly make its way into Canada. There's no question. Great. Thanks so much for your insight into that. Now, again, mm -hmm. speaking about the new act, under the new act, a consumer will declare whether they are self-represented or a client of the brokerage. Why would a consumer, only applicable to buyers, make the declaration that they are self-represented and what's the upside? That's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. To me, I don't know why a consumer would declare that they are self-represented unless they, there's a benefit to being self-represented. And the only benefit that I can think of is that the commission that's associated with the transaction would be reduced because the buyer does not have their own agent. However, the final wording in the drafting of this has, has not been identified. We really don't know what the legislators' thoughts were in terms of introducing this concept, but it's plain, it's black and white now, that a consumer will have that choice. A consumer can approach a brokerage and say, I want to transact, but I don't want to have your brokerage or any brokerage representing me. So we'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, perhaps in a private sales situation where you're dealing with somebody that you know, or even in a private sales situation where you're just doing door knocking and you'll come across mm -hmm. somebody that one of your neighbors that wants to sell their property, perhaps that might make sense in that scenario. But certainly, you know, you'd need somebody to help you with the paperwork. So you wouldn't want to do all that paperwork yourself. You'd need a good real estate lawyer and, and both the buyer and seller would need separate real estate lawyers from separate law firms. Right to do a transaction mm -hmm. like that. But beyond that, based on the fact that the seller is paying the commission of your realtor as a buyer, I mean, I guess it artificially makes the price higher because it has to pay for that commission. But I just don't see a lot of benefits to representing yourself. I mean, it, there's just so many risks and you don't have somebody negotiating on your behalf. And there's just not a lot of upside, in, in my opinion, to doing that beyond if it's a private sale. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
No, I, I agree with you. And from a practical perspective, one needs to look at the listing agreement and what they say. And a listing agreement between a seller and a brokerage will state that the brokerage will be paid. I'm going to use Oakville as an example where the, the standard is 5%. The brokerage will be paid 5% for producing a buyer right, for this property. If that buyer happens to be a client of the brokerage, that 5% doesn't change. If you're a consumer and you walk into an open house and you're talking to the listing agent and you say, oh yes, I love this house and I'd like to place an offer on this house and the listing agent says, fine, I'll help you with that. A lot of times a buyer will think, oh, this is good, right? There's no other agent to be paid. There'll be less commission on this deal. No, they won't. The commission will be exactly the same as it was stated in the listing agreement, which is 5%. All that happens is, is if there's not another agent to pay, then the listing agent and the listing brokerage is, under the terms of the contract, keeps the full 5%. Right? So, so this is something that, that a lot of buyers are simply not aware of because they haven't thought about it, the logistics of how these representation agreements actually work. It's something to be aware of, I think, for buyers. We'll circle back to what's the benefit to a buyer to declare self-representation. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Unless the listing agreement reworded such that they are a two-tiered commission structure, one tier being a lower amount in the situation that we've just talked about, where the buyer declares self-representation and a full amount if the buyer is going to be represented. Unless that's the case, I don't know what the upside could be for a buyer. So there's all sorts of details to be worked out. Great. And lastly, just a thought that came to mind. In terms of looking outside of the province of Ontario and outside of Canada as well, I understand that you have some, some insight into what's going on in other places in the world, including the U.S. So I'm just curious if you could use an example of what's happening in another part of the world and how they're kind of handling some of the topics that we've discussed today better and just share that with our listeners and that would be great. If we look at a place like New Zealand, New Zealand doesn't have the same type of system that we have here. You employ a, a real estate agent in New Zealand to represent you as the seller. And then that's the job of that brokerage. And that's the job of a real estate agent. As a buyer, you want to have somebody take your side. Then you would employ uh, a company that would be called a, a real estate consultant. And their only job is to help you as a buyer. So you don't have the same brokerage representing both buyer and seller. You don't even have real estate brokerages representing buyer and seller. Real estate brokerages represent sellers. Real estate consultants represent buyers. It's very different. And our fees here are typically, in North America, I'll say, are typically uh, higher, considerably higher, actually, than in other parts of the world. There's been a long-standing compression on real estate commissions in North America and in Canada. There are firms whose business model is based on reducing the commissions for real estate agents. And Noble comes to mind as a firm where agents actually bid against themselves for business, with the likely outcome being the lowest bidder gets the business. The pressure for compression on real estate commissions is certainly there, but it's taking a long, long time for meaningful change to happen. Great. Well, Michael, it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? How can people reach you as well? 
Sure. Well, I think maybe your listeners would be interested to know that my brokerage is the only brokerage in Ontario that works exclusively for buyers. So we have no listings, never have had a listing, never will have a listing. And the reason that we're structured that way is to, to avoid the conflict of interest that is inherent in the traditional model. Our website is exclusivelybuyers.ca. I can be reached at michael.walsh at exclusivelybuyers.ca. Yeah, I'd encourage your listeners to go to the website, take a look at some of the issues that are presented there. And also, if they'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, certainly to do that, because a lot of the conversation amongst the the change in, in real estate brokerage is happening on LinkedIn. That's my main vehicle for discussing the changes that are underway and further changes that may be happening. Happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn who would like to do so. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.